You're watching. You play ball like a. That'll be the day. Hello everyone, my name is Arya and I am the host for this week's episode of the Utah Rewind Podcast. If you are new to the Utah Rewind Podcast, we are a movie podcast that focuses on movies shot and filmed in Utah. We dive into where it was shot, kind of the whole summary of the movie, and cool little facts about the movie. So, for today's episode, we will be discussing the movie Hereditary. We will first hear from Camille, who is our storyteller. And she will break down the movie and give you a great summary of the movie and cool little facts and even where it was shot here in Utah. We will then move into our group discussion involving me, Camille, Guy, and Tyler and get our opinion and thoughts on the movie. Lastly, we'll move into our interview portion of the podcast done by our interviewer, Tyler. Also, I want to quickly note and shout out our social media producer, Guy, who is behind all the artwork and media behind this episode. I also want to give a quick disclaimer that this episode contains some disturbing topics and discussions, so viewer discretion is advised. Without further ado, here is Camille with her story. Hi everyone, Camille here, and today we are diving into the story behind the movie Hereditary. Hereditary was written and directed by Ari Aster in 2018, starring Tony Collette, Gabriel Byrne, Alex Wolfe, and Millie Shapiro. It's one of the most horrifying movies to date, taking the second spot on the Rotten Tomatoes list of top 10 scariest horror movies ever. This film was not a spur-of-the-moment idea for Aster. He had actually taken years to write this film, pulling inspiration from memories and emotional wounds that he had from his past. The overall feelings throughout this movie were dreadful, heavy, and truly, truly horrific. This film opens up with an obituary reading for Ellen Taper Lee, explaining who she was and that she had passed away after a prolonged illness at her daughter's home. The obituary prefaced that she had lost both her husband and her son, but was survived by her daughter Annie Graham and her family. The opening scene then cuts to a zoom-in shot of a miniature house that was built by Annie Graham, mother of Charlie and Peter, wife of Steve, and daughter of the one and only Ellen Taper Lee. These miniatures play a major role in this movie, with this house in particular being an exact replica of their home. As the shot zooms in, we begin to recognize that it's a bedroom and start to see some movement. Steve walks in to wake up Peter for his grandmother's funeral and to figure out where exactly Charlie is. This was a very powerful way for Aster to set the tone for the rest of the film. From the opening scene alone, we can already sense that this movie is going to be full of dread, from the obituary to the sinister music hovering in the background. According to an interview with Variety, Aster explained that this opening detail was meticulously planned out with a much deeper meaning. He stated that it prepared viewers to understand that the events in the film were absolutely inevitable and that the family had absolutely no agency from the moment they were born, no matter what they did or how hard they tried. Right off the bat, we can sense something is off with Charlie when we are introduced to her, just based off of her demeanor. As the movie progresses, we learn that people seem to follow the family, particularly Charlie, because of her strong connection to her grandmother, despite her grandmother's wishes of Charlie being a boy. So, why her grandmother? Well, we learned that Ellen was part of a cult that was centered around learning how to connect with loved ones who have passed on, and Charlie played an important role in all of this, not only for her family, but for the cult as a whole. When we get to the funeral scene, we see that Annie doesn't know many of the people who were in Ellen's life, prefacing that she was very disconnected from her mother for a period of time before her passing. With all of these new feelings of grief, Annie decides to go to group therapy where we were given more insight about this and that their relationship was very unstable until the end of her life. After these few scenes, everything for the Graham family begins going downhill. Charlie begins acting more and more strange, cutting off the head of a pigeon, doing things her parents wouldn't want her doing, and developing a prominent tongue click that remains significant throughout the movie. As we are seeing these developments with Charlie, we are seeing shifts in Peter as well. 
Peter is portrayed as your typical rebellious teen. He's smoking weed out of his bedroom window, lying to his parents about where he's going, and pushing away his family members. We first really see a connection between Charlie and Peter during the scene of the party. At first, Peter doesn't want to bring Charlie, but Annie insists. Earlier in the movie, we learned that Charlie has a severe nut allergy, and at the party, Peter leaves Charlie to go get a piece of cake while he goes and smokes with some friends. After eating, Charlie is unable to breathe, and she comes to the realization that there were walnuts in the cake, and so she goes to find Peter, and he immediately throws her into the back of their parents' car to rush her off to the hospital. But, unfortunately, on the way, Charlie sticks her head out of the window to get some air, and she tragically dies from a severe head injury, to say the least. Fast forward to the morning after, and we see that Peter has just left Charlie's body to be discovered by her parents. And after watching this scene, I would argue that Toni Collette's portrayal of the true grief a mother faces when losing a child is what scored her 17 different Best Actress nominations for Hereditary alone. She was raw, she was honest, and she was truly brave for going through this scene. Annie eventually begins to play with the idea of going back to group therapy, where she meets a woman named Joan in the parking lot before she decides to not go in. Annie and Joan begin to have a friendship throughout the rest of the movie, but Annie starts picking up on some clues that Joan may not be all that she says that she is. The first clue is that Joan's doormat is very similar to doormats her mother used to have and had made for her own family. The next interaction with Joan was very suspicious, to say the least. Annie ran into Joan in a shopping center where Joan convinced her that she would be able to speak to Charlie from the grave. Joan had been introduced, quote unquote, to a ritual that had allowed her to speak to her grandson who passed away, and she wanted to share it with Annie so that Annie could once again connect with her daughter. Here, the movie really starts becoming darker and darker. Annie becomes obsessed with trying to connect with Charlie again. She tries performing the ritual at home and even tries to show her family who is convinced that she is having a mental break. At the same time, we start to see Peter's personality being taken over by some sort of deep-rooted darkness. He begins having a much more intense relationship with Annie, eventually becoming scared of her. The movie then dives into the background of Annie and Peter's relationship, and we learn that Annie actually has a history of sleepwalking, and on one occasion, sleepwalking and almost setting fire to her children. At this point, it's obvious that this family has a very dysfunctional dynamic, especially when it comes to complex parent-child relationships. So tragic accident after tragic accident, we make our way to the attic scene where Annie really begins to have her break. Going through her mother's things, she learns that she had been lied to by Joan and that she was being completely manipulated. Joan had not just known Ellen, but had been friends with her since they were young. They had been a part of the same cult that wasn't necessarily about connecting with loved ones who had passed on, but more about connecting with the demon payment. Flipping through photo albums, Annie learns that her mother had been the leader of this cult, going as far as marrying payment and potentially trying to sacrifice her own son to be a vessel of him. The scene then cuts over to the corner of the attic where Annie discovers the body of her deceased mother who is decapitated. While this is happening, Peter is shown to be in school, which takes place here in Salt Lake City at West High School. He is shown to be taken over by some unseen force, slamming his head on the desk and breaking his nose. So Steve gets a call, brings him home, puts him to bed, but he was immediately ambushed by Annie telling him about her discoveries up in the attic. He suspects that this is all just due to her mental break, but she is convinced that burning Charlie's sketchbook would help end whatever was haunting Peter and the rest of the family. She takes the book herself, knowing that it's capable of catching those who are in possession of it on fire when the book burns, and she throws it into the fire, which surprisingly causes Steve to catch fire and burn to death instead of herself. And as Steve burns, we see that Annie becomes possessed by payment. 
Peter awakes to discover the burnt remains of his father and his mother who has now become possessed by this demon. Annie chases him into the attic where she forces him to watch her decapitate herself with a piano wire. Once Annie is passed, the spirit of Payman makes its way into Peter's body, and it leads him to follow his mother's now levitating body into Charlie's treehouse. In the treehouse, it's revealed that everyone who was in their life had been strategically placed there, from Joan to Peter's friends at school, and this was in order to find a proper vessel for payment. Beyond the cult followers being in the treehouse, we see Charlie's head wearing a crown with everybody bowing towards her, including the decapitated corpses of Ellen, Annie, and Charlie herself. Joan then crowns Peter and swears him in as payment, claiming he is now free to rule over them. This film is incredibly haunting, not only for those watching, but also for those actively participating in the creation of this movie. Alex Wolf took a method acting approach to this movie and chose to channel Peter at least a month before they started filming, and he kept up living as Peter through the duration of the film. In interviews, he disclosed that this film did in fact take a toll on his mental health, giving him dark thoughts and even problems with his sleep. There were also some very hidden details throughout the movie that many people missed watching the first time. For example, when Charlie cuts off the head of the pigeon, she then uses it to create a mini shrine dedicated to payment, and that's set up as a miniature version of the final scene in the movie. This is also a nod that Charlie was picking up on her mother's behaviors, creating miniatures of very realistic events. We also see many cult members lingering around the home throughout the whole movie, hiding in plain sight and just watching over the family. Unlike the past few movies we've covered here, this movie wasn't just filmed in Utah, but it actually takes place here as well. There are many notable locations that can be spotted throughout the film. Like, for example, the cemetery took place in Sandy, but it provided a beautiful view of the Wasatch that was impossible to miss. The home was located in Park City and was actually recently on the market for a whopping $7 million. However, the interior of the house was built on a soundstage in Salt Lake and filmed there. They decided not to use the interior of the Park City house because Astor had a very specific vision for the movie with incorporating the miniatures. This provided him with the opportunity to make his visions really come to life, and it gave the family the appearance that they were truly living in a dollhouse being manipulated. Joan's apartment was another notable location, being one of the most stunning apartment buildings on South Temple, the Maryland Apartments. It's nearly impossible to miss all of these iconic locations, however, if this movie were to really take place here, there is no way that the kids would go to school at West High School and they would probably choose a burial location a little bit closer to the home. However, for viewers who are not native to Utah, it's easy to let all these minor details go and believe that they are just living in a more rural part of the Utah mountains. Now, the real question is, do I recommend this movie? To that, I say that definitely depends on your personality. If you're like me and you aren't a fan of the horror genre in the first place, I don't really recommend watching this movie. I honestly found the movie extremely captivating and will admit that it is a great movie, but I did feel sick to my stomach almost the entire time watching it. What may seem like my long-winded description of the movie was really just me scraping the surface of what this movie is truly about. There is something deeply sinister about this movie that will leave you sleep deprived for days. This movie will take a toll on you, but if that's your thing, then I highly recommend watching it. With this film being Ari Aster's first feature-length film, he really hit this one out of the park. It scored an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes and brought in over $13 million in ticket sales opening weekend, landing it at the top of the box office charts. Since Hereditary, Aster has also directed Midsummer and is in the process of directing Disappointment Boulevard, which is a four-hour nightmare comedy that follows the decades-long story of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. I honestly can't wait to see what else Aster has in store for us in the future. 
shout out to Camille for that amazing breakdown of this movie. And like she mentioned, this movie just leaves you scared. Not many movies can do that, especially with the way they use cinematography, lighting, and everything else in this movie. It just left you with just an eerie feeling down your spine. Another cool fact she mentioned is about where they shot in Utah. It was primarily shot here in Park City, Salt Lake City, and in Sandy. And like she said, the Park City house, which is now listed for $7 million. Like you all, if you're from Utah, you recognize all these cool little places. But on top of that, you know, even the cool little places like West High School or the apartments in South Temple, they're all cool. All those little details to the filming location just really enhanced this movie. So now that we've kind of heard the story, I want to kind of get our opinions on it. So here's a group discussion between me, Tyler, Guy, and Camille, and just our little thoughts and opinions about the movie. So let's just dive into it. What are your thoughts, opinions? I really hate you guys for making me watch this movie. <laughs> so you didn't like the movie, right? I liked it to an extent. Okay. It, I'm not a scary movie kind of person. And so... It was very difficult for me to watch, and you guys told me to watch Midsummer before, which just totally blew what I thought I had in my mind about this movie out of proportion. <laughs> like, I, I found it very hard to watch both movies, but it was, it was brutal. That's about all I can say about it. It was brutal. That's a nice way to describe it, I guess. <laughs> It's not your typical horror movie, though. Like, I was expecting... For some reason, I was thinking Paranormal, which, I don't know. No, this would not be... A par- I don't know what this would be considered. Under- I, 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 paranormal. I, I would, would be, definitely say yeah. it's Paranormal. Okay, because, you know, most Paranormal movies, you expect jump scares and stuff like that, but this one was just... I don't know, it was different, I guess. I did like that there weren't any jump scares. Right. Um, it was just really horrific, and it was making paranormal stuff more horrific i feel like when we watch movies like paranormal activity like stuff like that we find them funnier because it's just so out there but this was not funny like there was no (laughs) funny part in this movie i think with uh you know just with horror movies too there are certain horror movies where things like you know death or murder those things are fun when you watch you know a slasher movie People are getting killed. You're having fun watching, you know, these unlikable characters die. This is not fun. When somebody dies, you see the funeral. You see the people grieve. Like... You see how they die? Yep. (laughs) This movie, like, for some reason, low-key pissed me off. I don't know why, but it just did. It had that vibe to it. I don't know. I didn't really like the characters, honestly. Um, I didn't mind them as actors, but for some reason, like, I didn't like the little girl. I didn't like the brother. I didn't like the mom, I didn't like the dad, and I didn't like the old lady. I don't know if that's probably the yeah, old Oh, well, freaking Joan sucks. Joan <laughs> yeah. does suck. Joan. I, like, okay, I feel like the cast was cast well for the yeah. for the roles that they played. But man, dude, like, I hate him. I don't know why, yeah. but I just hate him, especially the little girl. Like, oh, the little the, girl. For as gruesome as her death was, I was kind of like, all right, well, she's off the screen now. Like... You're like, good riddance. I mean, hope she's not coming back in some ghost form. I'm like, I'm glad I don't have to like watch her actually act again. Um, But, dude, I don't know. This this movie was kind of like more of like a thriller, I think. Yeah. Kind of just made you think. And honestly, I thought it was was good. I thought it was intense until the end. The end, I don't know. Because like the entire movie, I'm like, okay, the girl's dead. But like, how does this tie in with like the grandma's death? Because the grandma's death has to have something to do with it, right? And he's thinking about it, you're thinking about it, and then she finds like her books and stuff, and you find out you know, stuff about the book and Joan, whatever. But you're still like, how does this tie in with the grandma? Like, what did the grandma, like, what role did she play? And you really don't, like, if you're not looking between the lines and you're not really like diving deep in, you don't really understand at the end because I didn't. Like, I had to go back and like read articles and find out like what, what actually happened here. Like, I don't know if that's just me, but, like, that's yeah. just how... That's well, how I, th- I think that's the intention of the filmmaker. They want you to go back and look more into this. So, for me, this was actually my third time having watched the movie. And it's impressive to go back and look at all of the little details that you don't notice the first time around. Um, so, the grandma, her whole... She kind of is the one who's, like, driven this whole story. She's the one who's kind of built this family trauma that all of these characters are dealing with. Because I wouldn't say the characters are unlikable. I would say that all these characters are very much broken. 
and, you know, have had all these like horrible losses in their lives and don't know how to process it. Because no one in the family, I think, is processing any of their grievances or losses well. Right. Like the mom tries going to group therapy. She tries getting there. But then after Charlie dies, like she, everything, it just goes downhill. And there's a great little detail with that, too. So they, they kind of vaguely talk about this in the movie a little bit. But her husband was her therapist after like all the stuff happened with her, you know, her brother and her dad. And that's how they met. And that's how they started a relationship. She's going behind his back and lying to him about getting help. You know, so they don't have a healthy relationship anymore. Right. She's telling him, I'm going to the movies. But really, she's going to group therapy because she needs something else other than just, you know, the therapy she's gotten from her husband for years. Yeah. Well, it's different because once you're in a relationship with somebody, Uh like, you do kind of start treating them like they're your therapist, but it's not the same. Yeah. They can't help in the same way because you don't want to listen to them in the same way, especially if they were your therapist before. Of course you wouldn't want to listen Did to them. Did they mention the he was way. a therapist? Yeah. Uh yeah. Oh, I must have missed yeah. that. I missed yeah, that I missed too. it too. Yeah, it's it's very very subtle. I watched uh you know, having seen it a couple of times now, yeah. you pick up on it. And they talked about it in, you know, some of the interviews and stuff like that. Um I don't think he's her therapist now. Yeah. But, you know, but after like, you know, cuz she talks about like her dad like starving himself and her brother like hanging himself and just has this like horrible traumatizing childhood and yeah that's how kind of I guess how she got out of that a little bit and you you can kind of pick on that the dad was sort of a a foundation that they built on for a little bit because he was the one who enforced the no contact rule with her mother and kind of kept them away while you know they were raising Peter but then somehow that all fell apart and she's just taken over, you know, Charlie to the point that she's like breastfeeding Charlie that's implied in the movie. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I wish there was like a backstory. Like this could be a good prequel movie because I'm like, I would like to know more about the grandma, the family, like why her brother, you know, because I know they're, like they said, oh, the brother blamed his death on the mom or like whatever. They said he had schizophrenia, but like I'd like to know why because I, I, w- I would like more character development for the grandma even though she wasn't a character in the movie but it would kind of give me like clarity on like what's going on it, yeah it makes more sense if you read about it but like basically the idea is that the whole movie is about the the demon what's his name payment Paymon. Paymon. Yeah. like the whole movie is about him basically so like what i read is like the grandma is part of this pagan cult which is the, the group of the na- the naked people at the end in joan and what they're trying to do is they're trying to get payment into a male host, which is which is what he needs to like thrive on or like survive. He needs a male host, mm-hmm. and so that's what the brother's role is. And so I guess initially she gets this demon into her, into the mom's brother, so the grandma's son, and this dude like literally goes insane because there's this demon inside of him, so he hangs himself. So now this guy needs a new host. And so that's why they, she wants to go after Peter, but the dad enforces a no contact rule, so she can't get this guy into Peter. Yeah. And so what happens is, is she gets Charlie, right? And they say, oh, Grandma always wished I was a boy, and that's why, because the dude needs a male host. Okay. And so since she's a girl, and so I guess it's kind of implied because her name's Charlie, which is like a boy's name yeah. commonly. But There's a little detail, too. She pulls out the engraved mats that she, mm-hmm. you know, did for everyone, and instead of Charlie, it's Charles. On her mat. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I missed that. But yeah, they. So the so the demon is inside Charlie. Like she she manages to yeah. do that, and you know whatever. That's why Charlie's like, you know, weird as hell. Yeah. Cutting they, off birds' heads and whatever yeah. playing in her tree house or whatever. And so when Charlie dies, the the demon leaves Charlie's soul, I believe. And I guess it's kind of like what? I okay. I guess like it's I it's I don't know. That's kind of like a gray area for me because it's like yeah. still in Charlie, but it's like homeless. So the rest of the movie is them trying to get the demon into Peter. And that's why Peter starts going insane and they, you know, whatever, whatever. And so once, you know, they do all that stuff, at the end of the movie where Peter jumps out the window and you see that light go in, like that light shimmer around yeah. and it like focuses on him, that's the demon going into Peter. Okay, this so, the, so, re- so after that yeah. point, it's not Peter anymore. It's like the ghost of Charlie, which is payment which is inside Peter, and then he goes in the treehouse, and then they crown him because it's it's him. And, like, I guess he's yeah, back, and yeah. that's supposed to, like, well, scare you. it makes more sense now with, uh, I guess, like, how in the movie they talked about how they kept Peter away from the grandma. 
Yeah. And then they let, they let Charlie be around her. So I guess that's why I, she was possessed, right? They kind of believe that he's sort of the physicality of yeah. Paimon, which is why I think the actor looks, I think, like fairly different from all the people in the family. Okay. And why, and they believe that like Charlie is like the essence of the demon and they've got to bring them together and, you know, do their culty thing. Yep. This makes so much more sense now, yeah. I guess. It's very strange, but there's a whole bunch of great little things throughout the movie um, that you can pick up on. So the cult is always watching this family, kind of like those dioramas, you know, yep. all these people are just placed just so particularly, you know, they don't have any control over their lives. They're just placed like these little dioramas so that they, you know, are staged and look perfect. So there's little things like there's a shot where Peter's smoking weed and you should see outside of his window and you can see someone's breath watching him. Oh, I wow. didn't see that. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that either. at all. There's this great shot where it's sunny, you know, and then they go to the next night, which is the night where, you know, the crap really hits the fan and, you know, it just goes boom to dark. Yeah. And if you pause that frame, you can see about like 14 just naked people standing all around the house just watching I never wow. noticed no, that. I don't notice that either. There's a whole bunch of little details. Oh, my favorite one I found out. So Joan, freaking Joan, the worst character in the movie. <laughs> so she, you know, introduces uh, Tony Collette's character, Annie, to, you know, she's going to summon, uh, I'm trying to remember her grandson's name. Uh, dude, what was it? I want to say it's like Leon or Tito uh, or something. Anyway, so she pulls out his favorite chalkboard. Do you remember your chalkboard? Do you want to draw on your chalkboard? If you go back to the scene where she first tells him, or first tells, uh, where Joan first tells Annie about, you know, I had an experience. I saw a medium. They're at an art supply store, and they're in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. There's a freaking chalkboard in the back of her car. She bought that chalkboard ready to go for this little, you know, summoning that she was going to do. How could she not look at Joan and just be like, she's like a crazy old lady like that's the vibe i got from yeah. her from the beginning like, but when you yeah. but you know annie is so just broken that like oh my gosh there's a chance i can get my daughter back sure she'll try anything you know you that's get true. where she is as a person that you're just like okay i feel like it's also worth mentioning that the when they talk about the desecration of the grandma's grave at the beginning of the movie and steve kind of plays it off the cult are the ones who who do that it's the cult who puts her in the attic it's all all of them it's it's them who do that so it's not steve like i thought it was steve that was doing or even her annie but no it's it's the cult who goes and does that like it behind the behind the scenes they go oh one last little detail too when uh right after the funeral there's a sound effect where you can hear footsteps in the attic and then the family walks in after the funeral of the mom so they'd broken in yeah. and planted her body. Yeah, they've gotten in the house. And there's a little, another little detail where, like, you know, she, like, walks by her mom's house. She's like, oh, did you leave her door open? And he's like, no. Hmm. Well, let's shut that. So there's been people moving throughout their house that they just don't notice. That's insane. Oh, that makes it so much worse. It's so weird. And a lot of the cult people, too, show up earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. So the scariest part for me is the part where Peter looks down this dark hallway and just sees this smiley naked guy just watching him. That guy is in his mom's funeral. You see Charlie go up to the, you know, casket and sees her grandma and looks behind her. And there's this dude who just kind of smiles at her. It's the yeah. same guy. Oh, those are real people then? Yeah. I don't know why I yeah. thought they were ghosts. One of, his, uh, one of his, one of Peter's buddies that he smokes weed with, he's in the cult. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dang, I didn't notice this. No, dude, like, and you can't really notice because, you know, they're bowing and, you yeah. know. Like at the beginning of the movie, during the funeral, where the mom is like, oh, I see so many new faces. Like, dude, they're all there. Like in that one scene, like they're all there. Dang, I'm not paying attention to movies, I guess. You gotta really, yeah. Having I, watched this a third time, it, it pieces together a lot. Yeah. I only know that because I read about it. Because at the end, I was like, dude, this doesn't make any sense. Like, I have to, like, figure out what this is. Yeah, the movie was very confusing for me as well. Like, I, I didn't understand the characters or any of, like, the plot. Well, I understood some of it, but I was like, what's going on? But now, I understand a lot more now. I do want to talk about, though, my favorite scene in the movie. Because one of the things that made me want to talk about this movie... This was probably one of the best theater-going experiences I ever had, and there's one particular shot um, that I want to talk about. So after uh, Annie's husband gets torched by throwing the fire in and she becomes fully possessed, 
and starts floating around. There's this great shot where it's, it mimics that opening shot. It mimics that opening shot from the movie where Peter's in bed, and you can see Annie just floating in the corner, and you don't notice it right away, and nobody in the theater noticed it right away, and then it cuts outside to the porch light because the porch light comes on. Why? Because all the cult people are showing up, and then you can see her in the corner. And it was so cool being in a theater and just having people realize what was going on and seeing her in the corner. People were just like, and then elbowing the person next to him and pointing it out. And it was just this weird ripple that kind of went through the theater. I'm just like, everyone getting scared just at different times. It was so weird. Dang, I wish you saw it in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) What would you rate it out of 10? I'd actually, I'm pretty generous. I'd give it an eight. I, for not being a scary movie person, I did enjoy it some. I just still really hate that you guys chose this movie. (laughs) It was, it was definitely hard to watch, but I I would give it an eight. Especially because it was the director's first film. And so I think it was a really good movie for a first film. We got to talk about the Utahness of it too. There's so much. Yeah. So much. Even Kearns Boulevard gets a nice close-up <laughs> shot. I know Maryland Apartments on South Temple. Yeah. Like that's where yes. Joan lives. That's what I was telling them. I was like, it's right, right at these streets right here, right? Yeah. Somewhere it's, back here. It's literally the Maryland Apartments on South Temple. Even the Larkin Cemetery. Like if you live mm-hmm. in Sandy, you know that area pretty well. And yeah. like just seeing like the mountains in the background. I saw those mountains, and I elbowed my brother when we watched it in theaters. I'm like. This was filmed in Utah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Even Park City, you can tell it's Park City just by yeah. even that one store they were at. Yeah, well, the Wasatch is so distinct, and they yeah. have so many great shots of it. And it's, like, I honestly think it makes the movie kind of beautiful, um, like, aesthetically. And it's just, it's really cool to see, like, oh, like, I go to school out here. Like, yeah. that's, I know this. And so... It was it, it made it a lot more enjoyable seeing like I knew where everything was. Apparently it was originally supposed to be a snowy landscape, which is why they picked Utah. And uh, just because of when production got going and stuff like that, it was spring and so they're like, Well, this kinda works with the, the paganness of it all. You right. know, now everything's green and growing and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it's got you know, it's a bright sunny look for a horror movie, except for when it's nighttime and then it's dark, dark, dark. Right. Compared to the first two movies, like, you could tell this is Utah. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. didn't know the other two, like, you didn't research it, like, you would not know. But this one, you're like, yeah, this is definitely Salt Lake, Sandy, Park City. We should let everyone know, too, that the hereditary house is on Zillow. And for $7 million, you can buy that house. <laughs> the interior looks nothing like it, though, because that they built on a sound stage and, you know, removed walls and had to do all this crazy stuff. But the exterior... You can you can tell people yeah this is the hereditary home and if you buy it invite us over I would actually that looks like a dope house I would live in that there's a hot tub in the back so yeah you know if that doesn't make it less scarier you can you can chill in the hot tub <laughs> you know I wonder you know that highway that Peter's driving on when the accident occurred? oh the pole yeah. where where is that I want to say it's by like Midway I think it looks so. so familiar it looks like that area around or uh, Heber maybe yeah. I think it's, like, that main road that goes through Heber. Yeah. Yeah, because it was, like, dark in that scene, and I couldn't really... I was trying to figure out, I was like, where, where is that? Like, I wonder if I've actually driven on that road, but I, I don't... I swear I have. I think I have. I want to yeah. go see if I can find the Colts marking on that one pole. I know, if they kept it there. <laughs> yeah. Um, if they either, like, just set up their own pole, or if they just carved it into an actual pole that was on the side of the road. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, that scene was crazy, because I think he was at a house party. It looked like in the avenues... And then mm-hmm. he was driving on that road. I'm like, I was just trying to piece it together, like, geographically. I'm like, that makes no sense yeah, why he would just go from, like, an area like the avenues. I don't know if that's even the right location, but to, like, his house in Park City. But yeah, I know. Dude, that's it just what. looked like that road was, like, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, dude, you're, like, you live, like, far. Like, yeah, I'm like, you couldn't have taken her to a hospital, like, next to the house. Like, they lived in, like, yeah. I don't know. I don't it was know a weird either. scene. And then, like. Afterwards, like when you see her head decapitated with ants all over it, I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, and they really build it up too. Like he's sitting in the car, he's paralyzed, and you, he kind of looks up. You think you're gonna see it, you're not gonna see it, and then it, and then he just drives home in just this daze, and then you just hear the mom's reaction, 
and you're just like, okay, we're not going to see anything gross. We're okay. We're just going to hear this, you know, Tony Collette just do this crazy performance. And then, boom, they just show it to you. Just look at it. Look at this horrific thing. It's a daytime shot, too. Like, they really framed that up and got it all lit and everything. Yeah. But uh, Tony Collette did a great job in that scene, in my opinion. Like, as a like portraying a grieving mother. Like, that scene was insane. She actually had a lot of people say she got totally snubbed for the Oscars. She wasn't even nominated or nothing. Like, people, you know, point to her performance in this movie and are just like... The Oscars don't know what she's talk- they're talking about. Yeah, honestly. Like, that... I have never seen, like, a grieving mother portrayed like that in any other film. And it just... It was very accurate, in mm. my opinion. I wonder if it was in a horror movie if she would have got nominated. Because, yeah, she was, like... And she was crazy, too. Like, that's what I thought the whole time. She did a good job. Yeah, I don't think she was actually really crazy at, at oh, any point. I just think she was, think think she she was, was really, really oh, just pushed to, like... You know, yeah. yeah, just to an emotional level, you know, and oh my gosh, like there's just scenes in the movie like where she's like fighting with Peter at the dinner table or the dream sequence where she tells him, like, I never wanted to be your mother. Like so much of that just like you're just like, oh, like you think like, oh, if my mom ever talked to me like that, this would just ruin my life yeah. or just, you know, or being a mother in her position, you know, saying those things, you, you just, oh, it could mess with you. Do you think, yeah. do you think she knew about her mom and the cult? Because, like, in that scene, she says that she tried to abort Peter to save him. Like, was that her, like, subconsciously saying, like, hey, they're, like, they're after you? Or did do you think that she, like, subconsciously knew? Or, like, how? I think or was she that just, knew. like, a plot-driving I, element? I think she knew because when she was talking about her relationship with her mother, she was saying, we used to be really connected, and then we like didn't talk and then we talked a little bit again didn't talk and then she came to live with us before hospice and so i think she those times that she didn't talk to her mother i think that was her saying like this is when she was like away in the cult mm-hmm. but, but like how, how did she not know about charlie then like yeah like dude it, like it's pretty obvious this kid's like weird well, yeah she <laughs> she did say like when she and Charlie were like sitting in Charlie's bed, um, Charlie knew that something was wrong with her because she asked, "What will happen when you die? Like, who's gonna take care of me?" And so, they knew something was wrong with Charlie already, and they knew that Charlie had a really great connection with her grandma. And so I think they kind of just pushed Charlie to her grandma and. Hmm. That's what happened, and they thought Charlie was safe because she was a girl. At some point, too, I, you know, at no point do I think that she actually thought that they were going to summon a demon that would, you know, end the world. You know, like, who logically thinks that? You know, this is just my mom and just the things she does. She's got, like, a group of friends that she likes to hang. Yeah, Yeah, she's, she's into this, you know... Middle Eastern Indian, you know, new wave spiritual thing, whatever. You don't think of that. You just, you know. But that's what I like about this movie is there's a very, you know, there's a paranormal element to it, but it's rooted in this, you know, very destructive, very dysfunctional family. Right. Well, the one scene where you're talking about, like, do you remember the scene where Charlie was, like, out in, like, the front yard and the, the, the lady, Joan, was, like, lit a fire or something? Oh, yeah. Was that Joan? Yeah. Was that, I thought that was I don't Joan. know if it was Joan, I but it was, it was it, you know, she has white hair, I yeah. think, that lady. I don't know. I was like, uh, how I did the mom not notice? the Joan or the grandma. Yeah, like, I'm like, how do you not notice that? Like, like, you go get Charlie, come here, you know, and you don't see that, like, in front of you. Yeah, her. I wondered if that was a vision, or if she was just Probably. so focused on, like, oh my gosh, my dang kid's walking around without shoes on, I gotta get him. <laughs> I think it was a vision or something. <laughs> oh, okay, that makes sense. There's no way you don't notice that. I did I didn't think it was a vision. Yeah, you think it was I think it was, she was just so focused on getting Charlie back inside, or she was just subconsciously ignoring it because she's had to ignore it from her mom. She does ignore, like, a couple other things throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, she goes to Joan's house. She's got that same little embroidered mat. Right. And she brings it up. She's like, oh, my mom used to do things like that. And she's like, oh, really? But then they just move right past it. You right. know, there's there's things that she is ignoring. She's very passive. Yeah. Mm. Is that why she got her head cut off in the end? Um, that scene where she's, like, sawing off her head like that. I was like, what is this? And they all her heads cut off. Yeah. yeah. There's... There's that picture they show of Paimon, and he's carrying three heads. So oh, there's kind of like a, a spiritual sacrifice because you have the 
you know, the corpse of the mom, her head is gone. You've got Annie, her head is gone. You've got the accident that causes Charlie's head. So that so was like plan, three generations, oh, mother to daughter. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't an know, accident. That, that was like these planned somehow, right? That was absolutely planned by the cults. Yeah, that's that, and that goes into the whole metaphor of the miniatures. Everybody in this family has been placed where they need to be by yeah. this cult, by this demon. And they kind of emphasize in the beginning, like, "Hey, she can't eat nuts." And then, like, when they're at the party, that's the first scene. Like, it's a comical amount of nuts. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, you know, something's gonna happen. This cake is more nuts than chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> one more thing I want to add is just, dude, screw the tongue clicks. I, I hated that. That was like, yeah. Dude, it's just. That's the only real close part you get to a jump scare is when Tony Collette's driving our car after the seance and you hear the... It's almost yeah. worse. Oh my gosh. It's it almost just, worse yeah. than a jump scare. Like, in my opinion, like, like things like that make it scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess. It's, it's... See, I was explaining it to my boyfriend. I don't think the movie was super scary in, like, the traditional horror movie sense. I think it was just truly horrific. It was true horror. It did give me legit nightmares as a 30-year-old man yeah. after watching this movie. I did not sleep well last night at all. I kept, you know, and it, you, we all do this thing where you're like up late at night, you look over in the corner and there's a pile of clothes or whatever and you think it's a demon, you know, and they do this so well. You know, you look you look in the corner and you think you see Charlie, you know, clicking away in the corner of your room or you think you see mom standing in the corner, but then you turn on the lights and nope, nothing's there. Yeah, no. I think that's a very relatable scare. I, like, made sure not to sleep on my back last night because I did not want to get sleep paralysis because I knew I would from this movie. I was just like, there's no way. I'm sleeping on my stomach. It's going to hurt my back so bad in the morning. But I I could not. <laughs> the, the crazy thing is I kept expecting Charlie to, like, come back, and she never does. That's what no, I thought. Yeah, I thought that, she like, never turned You think it would back. be a creepy With kid all the movie? clicks and stuff? Yeah. I was like, dude, just, like, show up. Just pull up, dude. Just come out. She never did. Come out of there, Charlie. I feel like it would have been really funny to watch this, or not funny, but weird to watch this movie as a kid that went to West High School, because I, if I did grow up here and I went to West High School and watched this movie, I would never be able to step foot on the grounds of my high school again. That was shot at West High School? That was shot at West High School. Oh, I didn't know that. I can't go to that school. Some kid's going to just spaz out with his arm and slam his head against the desk. That was such a weird scene. Imagine just being in class and you look over, like, this kid's, like, doing that. I'm like, what is going on? I know. I also like how they didn't try to, like, come up with a new name for the high school whatsoever. Like, when they called the house, they were like, hi, this is West High School. And I was like, geographically, this does not match up. They would be going to Park City High School. But, yeah. You got got to get that good quality uh, West High education. Oh, yeah, you know. (laughs) You got to drive, what, an hour? Yeah, (laughs) because Park City High School doesn't have a good enough education. It's not a pretty enough school. (laughs) I guess we can wrap up now. Final thoughts, their rates, or opinions. Final thoughts. This was I really liked this movie. Um, check it out. This is definitely one of the more obscure movies we've done. Um, yeah. Give Hereditary a shot. Give Midsummer a shot. Uh, the director's name is uh, Avi Arad, I believe. Let's I think see. so. Let's yeah. make sure his name. Yeah. I want to say his name. Yeah, I would. I you know, so. it's weird how we went from High School Musical and Sandlot to this, but like, I honestly we went dark. We went dark pretty <laughs> quick. It's not a bad movie. I would actually like. Yeah, I'd recommend it, you know. It's not, like, so scary because you're like, oh, I hate scary movies. Like, this movie's just, like... His name is Ari Aster. Yeah. yeah. Yes, check out check Ari Aster's out. movies. He, he does great work. Yeah, I will say, as somebody who doesn't like scary movies, I did really enjoy this one. So, like, if you're going to watch a scary movie as somebody that doesn't like them, I do recommend this, for sure. Because there's no jump scares, and I feel yeah. like that's what people are most scared of with scary movies. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts, guy? Yeah, this was a good movie. I mean, really nothing to complain about. I mean, the ending is a little bit to take in. You might have to look some stuff up about that. But overall, like, once you get the overall gist of the story and you understand things, it's it really yeah. makes you think. It is a thinker, for sure. Yeah. Like, this is by far the longest discussion we've had yeah. on a movie because mm-hmm. it's like, we've all got some things to say. It makes me want to rewatch it again, though. I know. Same. Having seen it that third time now, it... It still legitimately creeps me out. I watched it at 12 o'clock in the day because <laughs> I'm just like, no, we're not, we're not going to bed right after this. That would be creepy. Yeah. I watched it like first thing I did like when I woke up. 
and uh, the rest of the day I was like, oh boy, dude, like checking over my shoulder and stuff, dude, making sure nobody's there. But you hear that click, you're like, what is that? <sighs> Yeah, this ain't Hocus Pocus. This is not a fun Halloween movie. No. I thought the ending was funny to me in the beginning, or originally. Like, I was laughing. I was like, why is she just floating without a freaking head to a treehouse? Yeah. No, but then, uh, yeah. Dude, the naked people, like, they just show them. I'm like, yo, what the? Like, what oh, is that? One of the naked people, too, in the attic is the same, like, lady that Charlie sees across the street who's just waving at her pleasantly. Dude, I had to, I had to go back. To, I was like, yo, did, did, did I just see that? Like, what was that? And dude, I just see the guy in the attic, and I'm like, dude, what the? Like, come on. Yeah, like, if you see Midsummer, like, you're not going to be surprised by this movie, yeah. I would say. Yeah. You know what's coming. Yeah, no. In my opinion, I thought Midsummer was much worse than Hereditary. Oh, but yeah, that could yeah. just be my opinion. You guys told me it was a little bit easier. Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I feel like you can tell that they're both directed by the same Oh, 100%. Oh, and for I, sure. and I, feel, I still feel like the music at the end of Hereditary is the same music from Midsummer. Yeah, and another thing, like, I feel like the director's, I don't know if it's his goal or his trademark or, like, what he wants to make it, but with both Hereditary and Midsummer, once shit hit the fan, it just kept getting worse and worse, and it, like, picked up and never slowed down. And so, be prepared for that. But both movies did that, and it was, it's just, it made it just that more horrific. Yeah. Final verdict, go and watch it. Go check it out. It's a great Utah movie. It's a good watch. So that was probably our longest discussion yet. You know, we got really deep into it, and it was a little freaky to say the least. So to get a different opinion of the movie, our interviewer, Tyler, interviewed Alyssa Wells, and here is that interview. So my name is Alyssa Wells. I'm 22, and my favorite movies are horror movies by far. What are some of your favorite horror movies? I really like the original movies. So like the original Exorcist, the original It, um, the older Halloween movies like uh, Freddy or Nightmare on Elm Street. Those are probably my favorites. Would you like to talk about uh, your pets that you have? People uh, could find your hobbies a little spooky. For my pets, I have five cats, which I mean is typical, but it's still a lot. I don't know if I told you I got the fifth cat, but I have a lot now. I know, five now. Um, yeah, it just keeps growing. I don't know what happens. They just kind of show up. Um, I have two gargoyle geckos, which honestly kind of, they remind me of little teeny alligators. They have a leucistic rat snake. So it's a pure white albino snake right now. It's actually about, I think, five to six feet long. It's gotten really big since I got it. Um, a corn snake, a chameleon, and then I have 40 tarantulas and two scorpions. So like with my tarantulas, one of them I just recently got, it's a Goliath bird eater. I have two of them now. Um, One of them gets about 13 inches. It has a smaller body, but a longer lifespan. And then the other one will also get about 13 and a half to 14 inches. And this one's got a heavier body, which probably gets about the size of like an iPhone. How's that one tarantula you were trying to bond with? Oh, my jumping spider, you mean? Yeah, I had a jumping spider. She actually died um, oh. when they when they get so old. Uh, jumping spiders have really short lifespans, so they only live to be about two years. Especially like when they're females, they don't live that long at all. So she died, unfortunately. But we had a pretty decent bond. She would o- often so when they throw up their arms and like dance at you, they're basically telling you to f off. She she did that pretty often. Our bond was just solid. <laughs> it, 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 it didn't work out, but it was fun to have her. Yeah, I had no idea a a spider could bond with someone. Yeah, they actually, I think the jumping spiders are one of the only species that can bond with humans. They just become familiar and can actually recognize faces. So yeah, you got a house full of spiders. You like to watch horror movies. This is why I wanted to interview (laughs) you. Yeah, I see why. Halloween's also my favorite. As soon as it became September, I was already Halloween shopping. I didn't get to go to any haunted houses, unfortunately, but... I've definitely gone to see my fair share of scary movies. Any, any good scary movies you've seen recently? The most recent one that I've seen was Halloween. I, I thought, I think there's one that I saw before that, but I can't remember exactly what it was. I did watch like the new Escape Room too. I mean, it's not much of a, a horror movie. It's more like a thriller or suspense movie, uh, but it was still pretty good. It definitely helped tie together the first one. If you've seen Escape Room, I like those ones as movies. They're kind of like, almost like a song movie because I watched almost every horror movie on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and HBO Max I was running out I'm like what am I gonna do I even paid for 
was it called Shudder for a couple months, but their movies are straight garbage. Like they, they're mostly Shudder originals, but it's such a small platform that they're really, really cheesy. But there's definitely quite a few of them I really liked. I can't pull their names out of the top of my head, but they're probably on my Netflix list. Did you get a chance to rewatch Hereditary? Yes, I rewatched Hereditary. Um, it's really cool getting to see it like over and over again because you finally catch on to like the little things you didn't catch on to the first time. So it makes more sense now that I've seen it like three or four times. But when I yeah I, when I first saw it, I just didn't I didn't understand it at all. And when was your first time seeing it? I think it was when you told me to watch it like two years ago was like the first time I had seen it. Oh, I didn't realize I told you that. Yeah, you were the one that suggested it. And then I watched Midsummer after that. Um, when you first saw it, what were your impressions of it? Honestly, I didn't really understand it. Like I thought they did a really good job when it came to like the fear factor of it in comparison to a lot of different horror movies. Um, they kind of lose you with the story with other horror movies, but this one you had to really pay attention to understand like the main point of it and what the person who created it is trying to like portray in the movie. So I definitely, I was really confused. Just like when I watched Midsummer for the first time, I, even to this day, I don't understand what the heck Midsummer was about because I haven't fully watched it again. Um, but it was confusing, but I, I did like it. I liked that the whole thing was like, dreary like super gloomy there wasn't a whole lot of happy moments now that you've seen it a couple of times how's your perception changed I do believe I'm more favorable for it because I understand like the plot to some point um whereas before I didn't at all I have done research on it previously to be like what the heck was this about because I just didn't get it um but after reading that and that was probably like a few months ago it makes sense and now that I watched I look for like the key clues that were suggested in the forum to look at to understand it and it just it makes a lot more sense I definitely really like it as a movie what uh, what were your key clues what do you have any theories about it what do you think well obviously um her mom was in a cult they had like the same necklaces different rituals they were talking about her being with people she had never met um some of the things like this, the symbol on her necklace, they had found painted in blood above uh, the body that was in the attic. Um, if you pay close attention to when the daughter gets her head cut off, that symbol is actually engraved into that post as well. So you can see it all kind of links together on how it was part of that. One of the theories that I have um, read and definitely agree with is that the mom has always wanted one of the boys. And so that's why she had mainly targeted um, her daughter's son because her son, which was like the mom's brother, had, uh, I think he killed himself. Oh, he hung himself when he was 16 and was saying that his mom was trying to put um, people in his body. And that's because she was actually trying to make him the person who was, I forget the guy's name, I had to write it down, um, payment. She was trying to allow payment to take over his body. And that's what he was referring to the whole time so I guess that's like my main theory on it plus there were also like little breadcrumb trails throughout the whole thing like when she told um the mom had told her son that she never wanted to have him wanted to like get rid of him and basically have a miscarriage she said it I didn't want to kill you I wanted to protect you because she was trying to protect him from her mom because she knew her mom had ill intentions because of what she's done in the past um did you have a favorite character in the movie my favorite character, honestly, I would have to say it was the son. He's kind of portrayed as like the outcast of the family. Like you can tell everyone acts differently towards him than they did the daughter. They definitely favored her out of the two of them. And even then, like, although the mom was like upset, he didn't apologize. She never gave him any sympathy for having to go through something like that. Like I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to kill your own sibling. What he did is kind of justifiable on shutting down, but the mom, of course, was being crazy about it and snapped at him and wasn't taking any blame for her own actions. Um, but the whole time, like his dad seemed like he was the only one that cared. Um, but the mom definitely, you can tell the whole time she had some sort of resentment towards him, even before he killed his sister. Like she treated him differently. And that he makes himself as my favorite character for that reason, because he hasn't done anything wrong, but the whole time he was treated like a villain when the whole time it was the little sister that had the vessel. She was like the temporary vessel for the demon and was cutting off birds heads. So 
So you would say like when they're having that fight and he throws back the, well, how about you? She didn't want to go to the party. You would say he's a little more justified in that argument. Exactly. Yeah. He was just trying to do his best to get her back home safety safely because she had nuts that were in the cake where everyone was having like the allergic reaction. He was just trying to get her help and her sticking her head out of the window was not his fault. How would you say this compared to uh, like some of your other favorite horror movies? Because you said you're a big fan of The Exorcist. Um, do you have a preference between the two of them? Because I heard a lot of people say, you know, online, like, oh, this might be the scariest movie since The Exorcist. I honestly, I think The Exorcist was a scary movie, especially being like the original. The reason I like The Exorcist so much is because things were more vulgar back then. Like you didn't have to worry about saying things that are going to offend the population or certain people like the exorcist was significantly more inappropriate like some of the things she would say or do that was just like so bad that was one of the reasons that was my favorite i did like some of the scenes where they had the her face painted it wasn't as cheesy as most horror films that are made um in the older uh times i guess because it didn't have so much effects that I guess that it needed but I think hereditary was more scary out of the two of them how do you think this compares to like uh like the slasher movies and stuff like that it honestly depends on the day I do really like um slasher movies I believe I guess you can consider like um the new Halloween movie as a slasher movie but they do kind of lose the storyline as they get further and further into making more movies um, some gore movies, they're, they're or gory movies, they're nice, but they lose the horror feet like aspect of it. At that point, it's just like cringe rather than being more horror themed. I like this one because it was genuinely scary. Like, I feel like it's one that would give me nightmares at night. Did you, uh, did you get any nightmares from this one? I did. Yeah. When oh. I first watched it, I had to watch like a, a happy movie after the fact, which usually never happens. I could fall asleep watching horror movies. But when I first th- watched this one at Midsummer they both got me. I, I had to like calm myself after that. It, it, they get pretty bad. Do you remember any of the nightmares, any specifics of it? Or It was just like a general creeping feeling. Usually I, I can't remember my nightmares, um, but I, I do remember having them to the point where it woke me up and was like, I need to like not watch that movie at nighttime again. So when I watched it again today, I actually watched it um, during the day. So I didn't have to worry about that. This movie involves a lot of ghosts and seances and demons. Have you in your life experienced anything paranormal? Kind of, in a way. So my little sister actually used to be able to see ghosts. And we had to have our house blessed when I was little. Um, Twice, she would see my uncle and then a demon who had red eyes with the dog. And she would always talk about how evil he was. And during that time, I would have night terrors. And I would wake up screaming in the middle of the night. Um, and like freaking out and losing everything. So, I mean, I didn't get to see them personally, but I was there in the aspect of like her seeing them. And it was really scary because I don't remember anything from that part of my life, but my mom would talk about it all the time. And she said that she's never seen me so scared before. And my little sister used to tell me that that demon was going to hurt us. How old was she when this was all going on? Uh, She was about four or five. Wow. And how old are you? Um, well, she's three years younger than me, so I would have been like eight. That is scary. How long did that go for? How long was she seeing stuff? She didn't really talk about it much much before that. I know it was definitely a couple months because like the person she was describing, we didn't know that it was my uncle. It wasn't even her dad's brother. It was mine. And she was looking at family photos and she's like, that's the guy I'm seeing. And she pointed him out exactly that that was my uncle. And she never met him before. He actually died before um, she was even born. Uh, so after that, then she started seeing like the demon figure or whatever that actually wanted to hurt us. Um, so she and then we had the house blessed. And then like after that, we didn't ever see them or hear anything about it again. Who did the blessing just out of curiosity? A priest. We had to have a priest do. I believe it was a Catholic priest. Has she ever talked about this later on in life or anything like that? She's talked about it. She was actually kind of upset um, for a little bit there with my mom about getting the house blessed because it took away her ability to see the, like the paranormal. We have, we have um, people in our family who are actually mediums Hmm. who I don't know them personally, but my mom's talked about them. Um, It's something that's actually been common in our family for certain um, people on the side of the family most of them are female that can actually see and communicate with ghosts um she didn't really talk about like much about remembering 
how it was when she was little, but she is, she was upset with the fact that the ability was kind of taken from her when the house was blessed. And I, and you said you didn't really talk to any of these other mediums in your family or anything like that. No, I personally haven't talked to him. My mom's talked about him a lot, but I just don't want to be like, Hey, I heard you a medium and just like talk <laughs> to him about it. Like, I know I'm your relative, but this is the only thing I want to talk to you about. I just didn't want to seem rude. Interesting. So did, yeah. So you kind of related to the movie, uh, a little more personally because you've got some <laughs> mediums in the family. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit, but none of them got possessed and banged their head on the door repeatedly. So. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> so you would say you're a believer in the paranormal. Yeah, definitely. Wow. That is interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for taking your time to do this with me. Yeah, of course. Anything you need. Thank yeah. you. Thank you to Tyler and Alyssa for that interview. Now I'm going to wrap things up. Overall, this movie is a great horror movie. From the cinematography to the filming locations to the acting, this movie has all the key components to a great horror movie. I would highly recommend this movie, but don't take my word for it. Please go out and check it out and let us know what you thought about the movie. And before I end this episode, I want to give you a preview of the next episode we are doing, which is Troll 2. So keep your eye out for that as it'll be a very interesting episode. And lastly, I want to thank you for listening thus far. And this will conclude this episode of the Utah Rewind podcast.